Welcome to my podcast, and it's a real pleasure to have an old friend, and he is a friend, uh, from the Montreal Gazette, uh, sports reporter Herb Zorkowski. Welcome, Herb. Mike, when you say old, what are you, uh, old friend? Uh, that kind of disturbs me. Are you calling me uh, ancient? No, I'm actually talking about when I was probably a teenager with my late father, Be careful, Larry now. Frederick. Be careful. That's right. My, because I know when I used to see you with my first met my dad and I called him Larry in front of you and you always had a problem with that. My late dad, Larry Fredericks, but that's when we first met. Uh, he knew you for many years. Uh, we really met when I was quite young. Uh, and yeah, I was a teenager covering the boxing at the Paul Sovi arena with the Hilton brothers. And we've uh, been friends ever since, uh, more so in recent years because we worked on projects together. So we do, we, let's just say we go, we go back a number of years, Herb. Maybe I was a teenager back then, too. Did you ever think of that? Listen, Herb, I'm turning 58 in October, so you're not much older than I am. So, really, you're not my senior, you know. My father considered you to be another son to him, I'm telling you, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, and true. Yet, it's true. And yet he never invited me over for dinner. You know what? That's true. He should have. And uh, you know what? Uh, I think that was a big mistake on his part. But he probably, he probably would have liked to, but... Uh, who knows? Uh, who knows? Maybe, Herb, uh, I'll have you over for dinner one day. You'll, you never know. Uh, Herb, how many years have you been at the Gazette right now? Uh, I've been there since October 1978, so I'm lousy at math, but that's about 42. <laughs> I would think that's about almost 42 years now. It's unbelievable. And when you started at the Gazette, you were covering uh, junior hockey, I believe, was one of your yes, first people. I was I was hired specifically to cover junior hockey, and Back in 1978, junior hockey, you can well imagine, was very popular. Uh, the Montreal area alone had uh, had three teams. They had uh, the junior Canadians or the juniors that were playing out of the Forum, the old Forum. Uh, they had a team in Verdun playing out of the Auditorium. And you had uh, Laval um, at the, uh, whatever the arena was called up there. Uh, That's right. You know, I covered Le Trois Denis. Uh, Denis Savard uh, was playing back then. You had Raymond Burke with Verdun. Uh, Steve Casper, I believe, played in Verdun. And, of course, the legendary uh, Mario Lemieux was, was uh, playing for Laval. And, and we crossed paths there, too, because uh, you were covering Junior at a time when I was covering Junior for the former Sunday Express. And, uh, boy, it was big in those days. Now, it, it's interesting how things evolved. So you also, uh, when did you start covering boxing? Uh, I made it clear to the sports editor at the time, who was Al Strack, and he was the guy who hired me. I told him that I was a huge, huge boxing fan um, and wanted to cover it. The Gazette at that time did have a guy, Dave Carter, who was a copy editor, a good, good friend of mine. We lived across the street from each other. Um, he also was covering boxing. He was primary boxing writer back then. But I remember there was a card uh, in the Verdun Auditorium uh, very early, a week or two after I started the Gazette. And, and Al actually let me, although Dave was covering the main event, I went there to do a sidebar on the preliminary boats. And a cute story, um, as naive as I was, I figured, well, okay, I'm there to cover the preliminary boats, and and you know I've done my interviews, but I kind of you know, I was such a big boxing fan, and I still am. I wanted to watch the main event, not cluing in uh, to the fact that maybe I should be writing 
to meet deadline instead of sitting there like a dope watching <laughs> watching the main event. So uh, I went back to the paper uh, again. This was a week or two uh, into my into my job there, and I really thought I was going to be fired. And, and <laughs> Al, God love Al, uh, great guy to work for. He said, <laughs> he said, just don't do it again. <laughs> and that, that was the end of it, and and uh, I, I'd like to think that I haven't in 42. I've never missed a deadline. Well, that's good to know. And and listen, you also covered uh, the Montreal Canadiens for many years because I covered them too with with mm-hmm. my late dad, and uh, we used to be in the press box together. And so you did that for many seasons. Well, I would kind of carry uh, Red Fisher's uh, laptop, and and uh, Red was the primary uh, hockey writer. Let's not kid ourselves. But no, I, I was uh, uh, doing uh, sidebars, things like that, uh, concentrating on the visiting team. Uh, quite enjoyed it, uh, um, but also realized, um, and I'm sure you're going to get to this too, um, that that. Uh, you know, I was always going to play, or anyone who anyone who was on the beat was always going to play second fiddle to Red, as as well they should. So, when the football beat opened up, and uh, it was presented to me in in 1997, a year after the Alouettes returned, uh, I jumped on that. Uh, I was I was more than happy to cover football, and it's probably the the smartest move I've ever made. Yes, and you've done a, you've done a great job, and and of course, uh, I guess it brings me to my next question, and we'll talk about some of the other things you've covered. But the most timely thing is the CFL season was canceled this week. Uh, were you surprised, and what are your thoughts on that whole thing? Well, I'm not surprised. Um, you know, it, it's almost a relief because it was dragging on for so long, uh, month after month. Uh, deadline passed uh, after deadline. Um, certainly as, as recently as last week, uh, I, I was under the impression, I was cautiously optimistic that it could all come together because it looked like the, the league was going to get that uh, $30 million interest-free loan from, from the federal government. Of course, over the weekend, news broke that that had uh, fallen through and, and then of course, it was it was very quick after that uh, Monday Monday uh, noon hour really uh, that they made the announcement. But I think we all knew Sunday night Monday morning that this was going to happen. Uh, it, it's look, it's it's discouraging, it's disappointing. I was looking forward to this season for for many many reasons, um, and and this has been uh, look. I've covered the team since since uh, 1997. Like I said. That's 22, 23 years. We're talking about almost one third of my of my life, and and certainly a good portion of my career. So it, it's it's left a void. There's no doubt about that. My feelings about it. Uh, I think that that um, it can withstand. The league can withstand this for one year. There's no doubt about that. Uh, I don't think uh, there, there's people out there that are they're painting uh, the, the this gloomy story that that they basically have the league buried. Uh, this league has survived so many things over the years. Uh, yes, this is its most serious obstacle, I would say, this pandemic, and it's going to be challenging to overcome this. Can they sustain one year of inactivity? Yes. 
if, uh, of course, come next April or May, heaven forbid, we're still under this pandemic, uh, it's potentially in trouble. But but as Gary Stern said to me in the story that I wrote uh, Monday, you know, months from now, nine months from now, if this if this health crisis is not uh, improved, we all have a lot more serious problems than whether the CFL is going to return. Yes, and, and you know, I, I'm you know, you see the NHL. I know they had a bigger, better uh, TV contract. Nonetheless, I have to give credit where credit's due. And Gary Bettman and his team—they were working on a foolproof plan from the get-go. And it just seems to me that this commissioner kind of dropped the ball because he just didn't seem to have his game plan in order. Uh, you know, playing catch-up in the month of August. Um, what is your assessment of uh, Ambrosi and how he handled this whole thing? Well, look, it, it, there's always got to be a fall guy in everything when, when things don't work out. And unfortunately for Randy Ambrosi, he's the guy with the, the bullseye on his chest. Uh, yes, look, it's it's no fault of his that, that this pandemic uh, came on his watch as commissioner. Uh, I do believe he should have been more, pro- more proactive. Uh, he should not have waited till May. And of course, the biggest mistake that he made in retrospect was was a asking for too much money, uh, not going to the the government with a sound business plan, and and basically he was a maverick. He did this alone. He did this without the the players' association at his side. Uh, so yes, those were critical mistakes. Uh, I wish that that he would have uh, been on this case from March when we first learned about the pandemic. Having said that, it's very difficult to compare one league with the other uh, because the, the optics, the dynamics are so much different for the Canadian Football League than, than it's just not nearly as big or or as wealthy as, as the NBA or, or the NHL or Major League uh, uh, Baseball. Having said that, there are smaller leagues that, that have that have continued to operate, that have found ways to field a product, and and that will be the the one mark against against Randy Ambrosi. I'm afraid it's that the CFL is the one league that did not find a way to to return to the field. Herb, last year you had very serious health issues. You made a tremendous comeback, uh, and. Uh, you know, uh, and and you missed the beginning of the Alouettes training camp and the beginning of the season, and then you were covering uh, what what we worried is we were not even sure if there'd be an Alouettes at the end of the year because they had no owners. And uh, again, Ambrosi, I think was was not doing things so well in that respect, in my opinion. Um, and but they had an amazing season. You had a lot of fun covering them. There was a lot of promise. And then they mm-hmm. got new owners who have dollars to spend. And so we were looking at a very potentially exciting team this year. So from your, you, you, you said before, for many reasons, you were looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, your, your health's improved, uh, God willing. And, and, and now you had a chance to really cover potentially a winning team with a great coach and a great quarterback. Well, yeah, Mike, that, that's correct. And, and I returned to work last July 20th uh, when the Alouettes played Edmonton. Uh, look, I was there for the good times, uh, the Alouettes. They went to eight Grey Cups in 11 years. Um, it, it almost became a foregone conclusion that they were that they were going to go to championship games. 
they went four years without making the playoffs, uh, which was eh, made it difficult to cover the team at times, uh, just because they were so bad. <clears throat> um, it, it's tough day after day when you're covering a team that goes five and thirteen one season, three and fifteen another season. It, it's tough to, to to motivate yourself and to generate ideas. So yeah, it was a nice, pleasant turnaround last season. Uh, team certainly had momentum. They seem to have found uh, a young quarterback with with whom they can work. Uh, Kahari Jones is a young, promising head coach. I've known Danny Machocha, the general manager, for years. I was looking forward to working with him. And like you said, new president, new owners, everything was new. And and like any season, you're always optimistic. And who knows how they would have uh, performed this year. It could have had injuries. Uh, it might have been last season, might have been a blip on, on the radar screen, but we'll never know. But yeah, I was looking forward to it immensely and, and – uh, because I knew I would have been around from the beginning of training camp. And again, it's, it's disappointing, but you know, touch wood, I'm healthy for now. Uh, I'm two years into this battle, uh, another three to go, I would think before I'm, I'm in the clear. And, and uh, there are plenty of people out there with far more uh, serious issues than, than I have. I, I continue to work. I'm, continuing to get my regular salary and, and uh, you know, uh, every day that, that this passes in, in which the season was canceled, uh, things will get better. Things will, things will be rosier and, and uh, you know, hopefully before you know it, next May will turn around, we'll, we'll come around and, and uh, it'll be business as usual. And you've become an advocate for bladder cancer awareness. Uh, you participated in their fundraiser last year, so I'm sure that's something you want to keep doing. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. We're involved again. I'm involved again this year. Of course, it'll all have to be virtual, unfortunately, because of uh, COVID. But it, it's, uh, it's a cause. It's an issue that remains very dear to my heart for obvious reasons. Uh, I'll, I'll end this interview on, on the, the final beat, the beat that you probably still will have for the next few months. We don't know what kind of season they're going to have, but the Montreal Impact, you've covered them, and it looks like they're going to have some kind of season. It might just be uh, Montreal, Toronto, and Vancouver. Uh, what are you hearing there? <laughs> well, but pretty much like what you've, uh, what you've uh, just said. Certainly it's going to begin, uh, well, it's beginning this week, but Montreal's uh, portion of the schedule will will commence next week, and yes, they're going to play a series of of six games uh, within Canada against Toronto and Vancouver. And the plan still is uh, after that to, to um, there won't be a full interlocking schedule, of course, because um, of COVID and and some travel restrictions. But uh, the plan is that that uh, they're going to play. Teams from the U.S., uh, probably Eastern Conference teams, uh, they hold out hope. The Impact holds out hope that those games will be able to play be played at Saputo Stadium. Uh, I don't think that is realistic, really, at this point. Uh, but there's been really no further development. I, I mean, potentially it could be done. I, I assume, I'm guessing, before. 250 people if that's the way they want to go and and the MLS has already stated the teams most of the time uh, they're going to travel the day of the game 
on on chartered flights, uh, if not buses, uh, more likely flights. And basically, you know, you come in, you play the game, and and you get out of dodge. So hmm. if that's the case, maybe it is doable. But I would think more realistic, they're they're going to have to play. Uh, they're going to have to find a stadium in the states. Uh, which already has an MLS team and probably share the facility with that club. Well, if they're allowed 250 fans, all they need is the ultras. If the ultras are the only ones, it'll sound like there's 20,000 people there. I'm <laughs> telling you, I'm not exaggerating. No, <laughs> no, you're you're right. You're right. They they, they uh, certainly bring uh, buoyancy and, and and provide atmosphere there. But it'll it'll be very interesting to see. Uh, I mean, certainly they can play the games next week uh, in Montreal at Saputo Stadium and and. Look, this is going to be new for all of us, so let's let's see what what happens. But yeah, I've, I've been doing a little bit of soccer, and and certainly, uh, especially now with the void that's been created by the CFL, I, I would hope to uh, continue. Well, I hope so too. Uh, like I said, you're not only a friend, but you're you're a journalist that I respect. I love reading. No one does it better than Herb Zerkowski. So Herb, stay safe, and thanks for joining me. Well, thank you for your kind words. Thanks for having me, and you stay safe as well. All right. Take care, Herb. Bye-bye. You too. Bye-bye.